Thank you, Nate. Is it that? Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? I think it's this. Let me turn it off. All right, there we go. Hey, my name's Janelle. I think I know everybody pretty much. But this morning, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in the second half of chapter four. So something I've talked about before is that I grew up in church. I grew up in this church, actually. And for most of my life, I pretty much always believed in Jesus. I believed that he was real and existed. But there's definitely a moment that I remember in high school where I made that conscious decision to follow after Jesus. Like, okay, I'm going to start living my life the way I think God wants me to live my life. What happened before that was a decision of, I don't believe in any of this. It was, you know, I'm going to just kind of do my own thing and who cares if God's real or not. I want to do what sounds good to me. And it was a really freeing moment of like, yes, I finally get to do what I want. And it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. And I ended up just very unhappy in life and not okay. So it led to this moment of saying, hey, God, remember when I said you didn't exist? Just kidding. And I love you. No, you forgive me. And uh, and I remember this day in high school where I said, okay, I'm giving up the way I wanted to do this. And I'm going to start following after God. And instead of doing what sounds best to me, I'm going to do what sounds best to God. And I remember waking up the next day, not feeling that different. I don't know if anybody else had this same experience when they like finally decided to become a Christian, but it was like, okay, you know, I thought I'd wake up feeling different or maybe looking different. I remember thinking I'm going to go to school today and seem the exact same to everybody else. But I, I feel, I feel like I'm supposed to be different or something is supposed to change here. And I remember asking that question kind of to the people around me, to my dad, to, to other people saying, okay, I've decided I want to do this. Now what? What comes next? Now what? Should I look different somehow to the people around me? Now what do I do? So the people that Paul is writing to is a church in Ephesus, and it's an early church. And it's one of the earliest churches, and they're kind of in a similar situation. They've decided that they believe in Jesus, but it's kind of now what do we do? And Paul is here to answer that question of now what? Now what do I do now that I'm a Christian? What does this look like? How is my life supposed to look different or be different? What parts will be the same? What parts will look different? So Paul is answering that question in the verses that we're reading today. So this is great for somebody who's a new Christian and maybe asking that question, now what? If anybody's feeling that way, hey, this is a great day for you to be here. If anybody else is like, um, I've been a Christian for a long time, I got this. Well, I think that the verses today are a really good reminder for us. They're a really good way to kind of reset what it is our focus should be as Christians, what it is we're kind of going for in our everyday life. It's a really practical passage, and I'm excited to share it with everybody here this morning. Last week, Rob, my dad, I never know if I should call him dad or Rob. Like if I say Rob, I'm like, they all know he's my dad. Um, so Mr. Rob, dad, sir, uh, that's how he prefers me to call him. Uh, no, he, uh, he spoke last week in the first half of chapter four in Ephesians. And he talked about how everybody has a unique calling and a unique purpose within Christianity. We're not all here bringing the same gifts to the table, and that's okay. That's a beautiful thing. That's our strength, not our weakness. And not only that, we bring all of our different gifts to the table, and we create unity. 
It should be a priority in our lives to create unity within not only this room, but with all Christians all over the world. Of course, we're going to have differences. Of course, we're going to have things that we disagree on. But what we focus on is not our differences, but the things that unite us. And the thing that unites all of us is Jesus Christ and him crucified. So let's keep reading where we left off last week. And we're going to start uh, in chapter four, verse 17. And we're going to read it together. Well, I'll read it and you will listen. Okay. (laughs) I just thought like, is everyone going to read this out loud with me? All right. So verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts to him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. So here Paul is describing Gentiles in the way that they live. And Gentile means non-Jewish, but what we could say Paul means here is really non-Jewish, non-Christian. People without God in their lives is what he's explaining and describing. And so let's look at how Paul describes them. He says that they're hopelessly confused, that their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives, that they have closed minds and hardened hearts that they have no sense of shame and they live for lustful pleasure, eagerly practicing every kind of impurity. When we read through the Old Testament, we see that this is a pattern that has been going on for a very long time. It's not new to Paul and what he's going through. It's not new to us today. This has been a cycle that has been continuing for a very long time. When we look at when God brings the people of Israel to the promised land and they're at the gates and it's like, okay, I'm about to give you this land. We're going to make paradise on earth. All you have to do is follow these rules. Only worship me. And he gives them these clear rules on what to do and what not to do. And the people are like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, got it. And as soon as he says go, they run different directions and find every God they can. It's like, what, what happened? It was so simple. But we get it because we have the same thing today. And at the time that the Jewish people were exiled. The Israelites were exiled in the Old Testament, kind of their 70-year timeout given to them by God for not ever listening and doing what he asked them to do. They had shrines and altars to just about every different type of God you could imagine in Israel. In Israel, the place that was meant to be set apart, the place that was meant to be different and not like everybody else, by the time they were exiled, looked just like everybody else. They blended in perfectly. This is the type of behavior that Paul is describing. Without God, we go from thing to thing, from God to God, searching for answers, looking for satisfaction. Because the truth is, we are made for so much more than this. We are made for what more than what this world has to offer. And as Christians, we find that satisfaction. We find that longing fulfilled in our search for God we find those answers revealed in Jesus Christ so that we don't have to hopelessly wander around and search. Today, I would say that we have shrines and altars built all over our country for different things. I'm sure we can picture that of money and fame and power. I mean, there are a ton of examples. I mean, look at the commercialism that faces us all the time on the billboards as we drive here. All these ads convincing us, if you just get this thing, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally find that thing you're searching for, which leaves us just kind of swaying and moving back and forth. 
We live in a society that is increasingly less and less interested in Christianity every day. It's not that hard to picture the behavior Paul is describing, whether we see it around us or it's something we've seen in ourselves in the past. Maybe we've lived that before. Paul is pointing out what people live like without God. So let's keep reading and see how Paul tells us to live when we have God in our lives. He says, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So in this section of verses, Paul is literally telling us to throw off our old sinful nature and to live differently. Now, something I want to point out before we keep going is that none of these verses are telling us how to correct the Gentiles and their way of living. None of, none of these verses are telling us to go find the Gentiles and make sure we get them to focus on getting their behavior to match ours. These verses are telling us to be aware of how they live and to choose to live differently. And I think that's interesting because I think that there's a tendency in Christianity to try to get the behavior of people outside of Christianity to match ours. But by focusing on the morality and the outward behaviors, we end up neglecting the issue of the heart. The heart is what God is interested in. And we have to remember that. Morality is important. Don't get me wrong. Morality is important, and it's important within Christianity. But we want to make sure we're hearing what Paul is actually saying to us in these verses. In these verses, Paul is telling us to hold up a mirror to ourselves, not the people around us. This is something that happens a lot. And listen, maybe it's just me. Okay, that's fine. Where the Bible is constantly over and over and over holding up a mirror to us. And we're constantly peeking our head around that mirror, (laughs) making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Oh, so-and-so's not looking in the mirror. I figured. (laughs) Knew it. But if we hold up that mirror to us and we allow it to stay there and we listen to what these verses are saying, we find that Paul is telling us that we are called to a focused life that is distinct from the world around us. Right now, I'm reading Harry Potter to my daughter at bedtime. I know, scandalous. And uh, it's really fun to read it to someone who's never heard this, read these books before. I mean, sometimes it's interesting because I'm like, and then Voldemort tried to kill Harry. Good night, sweetie. Maybe this wasn't the right choice. No, but it's great. And I love these books, and I love reading them with my daughter. And and, uh I was thinking about Harry's story. And in the first book, he goes from an orphan who's living in a closet under the stairs, believing that nobody really loves him or cares about him in this world. And it's this great discovery when we find out that he's actually a wizard, that he matters to a whole group of people that he didn't even know existed, that there's a place for him in this world, a purpose for him that he isn't that somebody nobody cares about. 
And I think there's a reason that these books are so popular and that they resonate with so many of us is because we're all longing to be told that there's more to this world than we realize. There is more to this world than the mundane of everyday life. That there's someone more powerful out there who knows that we exist and is here to tell us that we matter. That each one of us matters in this story. And if Harry Potter's not your thing, that's okay. We could say Luke Skywalker from Star Wars. He goes from a boring life in the desert to find out that he's a Jedi. That's cool. Unlike almost anyone else in this world, in the universe, with a new purpose and calling, that his part in the story matters. There are countless stories and examples, maybe y'all are thinking of them right now, that represent this type of life. Because we all have that desire to be unique, to stand out, to live for more than just what is in front of us. What we do matters. What we say matters. How we live matters. And this great life that we're describing from these characters and movies and books, it's offered to us here. And this greatness in life comes from a focused life where we're careful with our choices, where we're disciplined in how we live and how we treat others. And now this idea might sound great in theory, like, cool, yeah, but I'm about to leave in five minutes and get Taco Bell, and that doesn't sound great. Um, Taco Bell's great. (laughs) Um, No, but this idea might sound great in theory, and we can ask ourselves, how does this work in real life? Like when the sermon ends and the song ends and we pray and we stand up and we go out into the real world, what does this look like in real life? Well, I'm so glad you asked because Paul gets really specific for us and it's great. So verse 25 in chapter four, Paul says, so stop telling lies. Okay. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. We're all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. In the Gospels, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven belongs to these people and the kingdom of heaven is near. And it was a phrase that took me a long time to understand what he's talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven. And it's basically about bringing heaven to earth. It's about Christians belonging to God's kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth. And God's kingdom, his values are upside down from the values that we have here. Obviously, heaven is something that we picture as a paradise and as a place waiting for us after we die. But Jesus spent a long time and a lot of time explaining that heaven is not something that we have to wait for. That paradise is right here and ready for us. That we don't have to wait for paradise. We can access parts of it now simply by the way that we choose to live. And Paul is expanding on that idea of bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and bringing paradise here 
not just by describing the finished product, but by breaking it down like a recipe with simple steps and ingredients for us to follow. Let's look again at what Paul says here. Paul says to stop telling lies, to speak honestly. He says, don't let anger control us. Don't let it be the motivating factor in how or why we make our decisions. He says, don't steal. Instead, use our hands to work hard. Use our hands to give generously to those in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let our words be used as an encouragement to those around us. Let them be helpful and good. Paul tells us that as Christians, we are called to a life that offers peace, that shows kindness, and to a life of integrity. Now, if someone is hearing this and thinking, gosh, you know, so-and-so really should listen to this. (laughs) They say they're a Christian, but they get angry a lot. I've seen it. Then we might have found ourselves accidentally moving away from that mirror again. This is meant for us to individually look at our own lives, not our neighbor's lives, look at our own lives and our own choices and see if they line up with what Paul is describing here. This is how we bring heaven to earth. It looks different from what we see around here. Around here, we try to bring heaven to earth by the American dream, climbing the corporate ladder, having the perfect family, having a house with a yard. God says we bring heaven to earth by showing kindness, by living with integrity, by, by doing our best to bring peace to a broken world. And everything that Paul is describing here are things that are within our choices. These are not things outside of our control. So much of this life feels outside of our control. Or we convince ourselves it's inside of our control and then we find out we're wrong. It's outside of our control. But this, these are all things that are choices we make, that we have the ability to start making right now. We don't have to wait. We can do it today. Now, there's something I want to clarify here before we move on to the next section of verses. I want to reread Uh, verses 26 and 27, because Paul talks about anger. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I just made a whole speech about how these are things inside of our control, within our control. But anger feels a little different than that, and that's where I want to clarify. Because anger is an emotion, and I don't know about y'all, but I don't always have a say like how I'm feeling. Like, I don't get to come up here and say, hey, I'm not nervous. I'm still nervous. (laughs) Anger is an emotion that's usually a reaction from something else. And I believe what Paul is saying here, and that's why I want to clarify it, that we don't want anger to control us. In verse 26, don't let anger control us. He's talking about not allowing anger to take over our lives or be the motivating factor in why we make decisions. I would say most of the time when we get angry, we're probably angry for a good reason. Something has caused that anger. Maybe something has justified that reason to be angry within us. But here are things that we can control when it comes to anger. We can choose to not let it be the reason that we make our decisions and the choices that we make. We can do our best to work through it, knowledge it, understand it, resolve it, but do our best to not let it grow. We don't want to be comfortable with anger as a permanent roommate in our lives. 
Instead of focusing our time on what has made us angry and why we are justified to feel that way, Paul is telling us to focus our time on forgiveness and healing. That's why I just wanted to clarify that. Because if anybody feels angry, I don't want it to be that we can't admit that we're angry because otherwise we're not bringing heaven on earth or we're a bad Christian. Hey, Jesus got angry. We call that righteous anger. So it's okay to be angry sometimes, and I get it, and it happens, but we don't want to be known for our anger. We want to put our efforts into making peace, into showing kindness, into living with integrity. That's where we want to put our effort and our work. So let's keep reading and see what else Paul instructs us to do in verse 30. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So here Paul is continuing to reemphasize the importance of anger and not allowing it to be our defining characteristic as an individual and as a group of Christians. We don't want to be known for being angry. In verse 30, Paul says not to bring sorrow unto God's Holy Spirit by the way that we live. And sometimes I forget that by believing in Jesus, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is equipped within us now. And we learn from these verses that how we live and what we focus on matters to God. God is watching us. He's paying attention. And it brings him sorrow when we treat people unkindly. And I don't say God is watching us like the way we say to kids about Santa Claus. Like, <laughs> Santa's watching. You want your gifts, right? You know, God's watching. You want heaven on earth, right? No. I mean it as a parent who loves their child. I'm a parent I've had reports of like when my kid hits somebody else. Oh, it's just the worst feeling. You hate that because I love my kid and I want them to show love and be loving to other people. It's not a good feeling. And that's what Paul is describing here of God and the Holy Spirit. It's that of a loving parent. So for those of us who use social media, let's... Think about the words Paul is describing here of anger, bitterness. He says to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Let's think about social media for anybody who uses it. Let's think about our last five posts or maybe the last five posts that we liked or commented on. Do they contain any of these words? Would that be a description? I know there is an election, (laughs) y'all. There's lots of memes for the picking there. And listen, I know that this happens outside of social media. Social media is just a really easy example for anybody standing up here. But these are things that happen in our own lives all the time, this anger, this bitterness, this rage. And it's something that we have reasons to justify why we have it. And I know because I've been there and I've done that. There are people in my life that made choices. They were so hurtful and they were so selfish and they didn't care. They didn't seem to care if it hurt me or the people around me. And I was so angry and bitter towards them. 
And I knew it was for good reason. And the people around me, when I told the story, they also knew it's for good reason. I feel this way. But despite all of the people I could convince that this person was awful, I could never convince God. The truth is God refused to accept that mindset from me. He refused to accept that offering. He worked on my heart for a long time, a lot longer than it should have taken probably, but a long time, and he helped me to forgive this person. And this person and their actions, they might not have changed. But you know what? I changed. I felt better. It felt so good letting that go. It was so freeing for all of us when we let go of that bitterness and that rage and that anger. We are quick to justify why we have it. And to anyone right now who is feeling bitterness and rage about something or someone, I just want to say that I get it. I believe you. I believe it is for good reason. I'm sure it's for good reason why you feel that way. But I promise that letting that go feels so good. It is so freeing when we do that and we allow the Holy Spirit to help us to do that. And it is one step closer to living in paradise. In verse 32, Paul says that instead of anger and bitterness, we should be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven us. And if we look, we see that there's no exception to this. It's not kind unless they're mean to you, then you don't have to be. Or forgiving unless they did something rude on purpose. No, it's just kindness. It's just forgiveness. Because we were also forgiven. We were also sinners who didn't deserve it and were forgiven by Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to make sure that we remember that in the way that we treat people. So let's read these last two verses together. This is in chapter 5, verse 1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Paul concludes this passage that we're reading today by reminding us of who we are. We are God's dear children who he loves. And he's telling us to, be, to live a life following the example of Jesus Christ. So we learn from these verses that when in doubt about what to do and what comes next, we should follow the example and focus on the example set by Jesus. Paul says that Jesus and his sacrifice was a pleasing aroma to God. Let's think of that in stark contrast to the sorrow brought to God by our bitterness and rage. God has equipped each one of us with the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us right now, ready to listen and ready to guide us, ready to help cool that anger, ready to help us release that bitterness. God has equipped us with the Bible and we live in a place that we have access to it 24-7. A hard copy or the app, either way is good. They're both the same words. 
There are countless devotionals we can look through on our app to help us remember to read these words throughout the week. It shouldn't just be today. It's so much better of an anchor for our lives when we're continually remembering what it is we believe and who it is we follow. Allowing the words of the Bible to anchor us instead of the words of this world. So let's find our firm footing in Christ and stay anchored to his words and his example. And as we leave here today, let's remember that we are called to a focused life that is distinct and different from the world around us. Do y'all hear that outside? I tried to ignore it, but I was like, I'm watching everyone looking their faces at me, but their eyes over here. (laughs) I'll tell you what's going on because it's the curriculum and I wrote it. Um, The last Sunday before Thanksgiving, every year the kids do a turkey drop, an egg drop, turkey egg drop. (laughs) So they decorate little eggs as turkeys and they make little nests for them and they drop them from different heights to see when they'll break. It connects to God. I don't have it with me, but there is a connection. Um, I'm sure that's what he's saying out there right now is the connection. Uh, So Um, let's just remember to make every effort to be kind to one another, to not be defined by our anger, but let's do everything we can in our everyday lives to allow peace and kindness and integrity to be our defining factors. Let's be known for those things. Let's not bring sorrow to God and the Holy Spirit by holding on to that bitterness and rage. Let's follow the example of Christ in self-sacrificial love to everybody around us. Right on? All right, thanks. All right, Uh, God, we thank you again for loving us. We thank you for um, turkey egg drops and fun times that the kids get to have. And um, we just... We just thank you for calling us to a life that is set apart. We thank you for offering us more than what this life has to give. Please continue to guide us every step of the way. Please continue to be that anchor for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Before we go, I want to say thank you to Kate. She did not know that, is this on? Can you guys hear me? She did not know that she was leading this morning, today when she came in. So we just want to say thank you for stepping up. You did a great job. And for Shaylia, that was also like right before church started, Kate ran and grabbed her and pulled her on stage. So thank you, Shaylia. You know, I know Matt lost his voice, and for the last four days, he's been on, like, vocal rest in the house, not speaking. And I didn't miss him speaking as much as I thought I would. Like, you know what? I kind of like this. I talk all day. No one's stopping me. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, speak this blessing on one another before we head out of here. I'll be up here. If anyone would like prayer, Shirley will be up here, maybe Mel as well. If you would like prayer for anything, um, we're up here and we're happy to do it. So may you see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. May the Lord hold you steady and still. In Jesus Christ, hold firm, take heart. In his love, there is hope for you. Go in peace, you children of God.